Well, good morning, Lake City family. Let's try that again. Good morning, Lake City family. Thank you. That was better. We are grateful uh, to be back this weekend, and thank you for uh, the privilege of, of being here. Very grateful to Pastor Jim um, for the invitation to come and to continue on in this uh, series in Second Peter. But thank you, Lake City family, for your extraordinarily faithful and generous and sacrificial support for us uh, for the last five plus years as we have served with Village Missions. We um, are currently in a place called Machias. I know you've heard of it. And it's places like that that Village Missions goes to. Village Missions serves in rural communities, rural churches throughout North America. There's over 200 fields in the U.S. and Canada that Village Missions serves. And we have the great privilege of getting to serve in one of them. And your partnership means a lot. Uh, Your support, your encouragement, your prayers... Um, they are what sustain us as we serve where we serve. Rural America is no longer Mayberry. And if you have an idyllic vision of what country life is like, um, I would ask you to let that go. Rural America is in trouble and it's vulnerable And this morning's passage that we're going to be working through is actually a problem that faces rural America. This idea of false teachers. Rural America needs Bible teaching, Bible preachers. Ed Stetzer, who's now currently on staff at uh, Wheaton College, did some research and pulled this together that right now in America there are 60 million people that live in communities that would be classified as being rural. And so he decided to put that into picture format and he said if you were to take the combined populations of New York and California, that's how many people live in rural communities today in the United States. Village Missions serves 200 of those communities. If you know anything about rural America, you know that there's not a thriving metropolis in rural America. That's why it's rural. (laughs) And so there's many more that Village Visions is not able to get to yet. Currently, there's 18 fields in the U.S. that are served by Village Missions but are currently waiting for a Village Missionary. So please know that your partnership matters. And your faithful support keeps us on the field so that we can continue to serve the way that we do. Uh, I have the privilege of being the pastor at Machias Community Church, but we as a family, we are missionaries to the community. And so we are a missionary pastor, a missionary family, it just a, it looks a little bit different. And as we've served with Village Missions over the last five plus years, one of the things that's happened, because of that missions component, uh, Dre and I have had to learn how to rely upon, depend on, lean on each other's strengths to cover up for different kinds of weaknesses that we might have. And so we have relied on each other and we have watched each other succeed in areas of giftedness and it's been a joy and a delight to do so. And can I give you an illustration of that? Yes. Say, say yes. yes. Thank you. 
On Friday, we made our journey down here, and um, we encountered Seattle traffic. <laughs> the community that we live in right now, uh, there's one blinking red light. Um, the first traffic light you get to going south is seven miles away. The first traffic light you get to going north is 15, 16 miles away. So uh, we're a little out of our element in traffic. As we're navigating traffic, uh, there became a desperate cry from within our minivan of somebody complaining of an intestinal distress. Um, I don't know how you travel, but we don't travel with air sick bags, and uh, we will now, I can tell you that. <laughs> so the desperate cry came out, and my beautiful bride instantly moved into action, because at her feet was a gift bag. And very quickly, she emptied the contents of the bag. And handed it back to the individual in distress so that it stayed clean. That's like the safest, most gentle way I can put that. The deed was done. The bag came back to the front seat. <laughs> and if you know anything about gift bags, you know they're not known for being highly absorbent. But once again, my quick-thinking bride... Found a box. I don't know what we have going on in our van, but she found a box. And put the bag inside of the box. But there's a crack in a box. So she found a sweatshirt. And we're riding down the road, and she has a sweatshirt on her leg. A box on top of the sweatshirt. The bag inside of the box. And I won't tell you the contents of the bag. And I'm driving down the road, astonished. And I looked at her and just stared and watched all this happen. And I looked at her and I said, I just now thought of what to do. <laughs> we have learned that we need each other. And it's been a joy to serve alongside her and to serve uh, the people of Machias. And I'm getting teary because I'm not with them this morning. Like, um, pray for one of our elders, Jack who right now is going, where's Pastor Carl? Um, and they've become a community that we have grown to love, and it's a delight and a privilege to serve there. So thank you. What you're doing matters, and we are grateful people. And as we look at this passage, I want you to think not just of rural America, but of course, my default position now is that, but to consider what's going on around us, what's going around in our community, what's going around in our country, what's going around in our world as we look at this topic of false teachers. And I want you to know it's slightly intimidating to, to be here this morning. Maybe it's slightly intimidating because there's a lot of new faces that we um, haven't seen, we haven't met you as we left in 2012. And it's also intimidating because um, well, a lot of you are familiar faces and you do know me. <laughs> oh. It's even more intimidating because I am the guest preacher this morning standing in front of a title slide that says, Beware of False Teachers. 
So please pray. As we continue what has already been started in Second Peter, Peter writes some really strong language. And it's not so much a name-calling language, although certainly he gets pretty terse and he's very direct and he does not mince his words at all. But I want you to hear that this is a, a cry from a shepherd. Peter is so loving and caring towards those that he's writing to that he's willing to use strong language to over-communicate a point so that they really capture it so that their souls are shepherded and protected. And it would be wise of you to say that even though this was written in the late 60s, not the 1960s, the other ones, the much earlier ones, that it could just as easily have been written today. What Peter is writing about is something that we are looking at nearly on a daily basis, if not more frequently. And it's the rise of false teachers that have revealed themselves. We would be wise to listen to this and to not dismiss this as just being an ancient writing about an ancient problem, but rather recognizing that God's word constantly speaks, it never stops speaking, and it applies to us today even 2,000 years later. Peter's warning us about false teachers. And he's going to give us a warning and then he's going to provide us some hope, which is really good news because the warning's pretty stiff. And we're going to need some hope to come out of this. And Peter very generously brings that to us. The first thing I want you to see is that uh, Peter, first I want you to see I know how to turn this thing on. There. That, uh, <laughs> that Peter gives a description of the false teachers. And in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1 and then in the first half of verse 10, Peter describes the teachers for us. Here's what Peter writes. He says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And in the first half of verse 10, he says, And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. The description of the false teachers, the first one is, is that they are secretive. No false teacher exists who willingly identifies himself as being a false teacher. It would be so much easier if they did. I would like, I wish they would pass out business cards that said, you know, so-and-so, false teacher. Like, oh, good, now I know what to do with you. But they're secretive. They will move in and they will begin to do the old bait and switch. Now, there's not a single person in the galaxy that likes the bait and switch kind of thing. So, but yet that's what these false teachers are doing. They teach a little bit of truth, but it's mixed with enough error, but you can't quite detect it on the first go round. They don't publicly identify themselves as part of their gig, as part of their action is to move in and to sneak their way in. They're secretive. They deny Christ. If you're trying to establish and understand who is or is not a false teacher, begin to understand what it is that they think and believe about Christ. 
if they're not willing to acknowledge the full humanity and the full divinity of the Savior, you're on the edge of a false teacher. If they are suggesting that Jesus Christ is not the only way to salvation, you have a false teacher. And we can keep going on down the list, but ultimately what they're doing is that they are denying Christ. They're not providing or giving to Christ what it is that he rightly deserves, which is our supreme exaltation, all of our praise, all of our glory, all of our adoration. They are denying him because they much rather do something else, which is they want to feed the flesh. They deny Christ because they're much more interested in helping us you move towards a place of self-gratification. It is sensuality, as Peter will write later on. It's designed to appeal to the senses so that you ultimately are satisfied. Next, they despise authority. You'd be hard-pressed to find a false teacher who'd be willing to submit to the authority of a local church. And if you're encountering a potential teacher of false doctrine, or if you're reading a, a blog post or a Facebook post by a potential false teacher, you need to ask yourself this question, and if you're able to, ask them this question, what church do you attend? And if they're not able to provide an answer, or if they hesitate in their answer, be forewarned. You potentially have a false teacher on your hand. Their false teachers are unwilling to submit to church authority. They're unwilling to submit themselves to the leadership and the shepherding of pastors and elders. They won't do it. And so if you encounter them, what should you do? Run. I used to be a cross-country coach. I love telling people to run. And it's okay to run in this situation. How do I know it's okay to run? They give out gold medals for being able to run fast. There's value in running. And if you're encountering a false teacher, run. I know the argument is, but, but don't they need to know the truth? Yes, they do. But I'm much more concerned in the protection of your heart. And so if you're not mature enough to handle that kind of an argument... Run, and then keep running. There's absolutely no shame in that at all. Among the descriptions is that this, that they preach another gospel. And it's such a critical issue that Paul addresses this, about this whole idea of there being another gospel. And Paul writes in Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 6, he says, speaking to the Galatians, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel 
contrary to the one you have received, let him be accursed. Paul and Peter are lining up here. And that there is no other gospel. And even if there was another gospel, which there isn't, but even if there was, you name me a single one that comes anywhere close to rivaling the gospel of Jesus Christ. That offers the promises, that offers the delight, that offers the freedom that the gospel of Christ does. There's not a single gospel on the face of the planet that comes anywhere close to rivaling the gospel of Jesus Christ. So why would we submit ourselves? Why would we take this in? Why would we allow them to continue to teach? We must be cautious. One commentator on this passage in 2 Peter said that one of the best ways to understand 2 Peter chapter 2, because Peter uses some really bizarre sentence construction in this, and he also uses some words in Greek that don't even appear anywhere else. And so it can be a difficult passage at times. And so this commentator suggested that the best way for us to understand 2 Peter chapter 2 would actually be, be to hold the book of Jude up next to it. And I want you to see what Jude says in verse 4. He says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed, there's that secretive, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. They are destructive. And Jude captures Peter's heart. And it's a perversion of the gospel to come up with any doctrine that denies Christ. And it has no place. It provides no benefit. And so we must run. Peter goes on, he gives us the deception of the false teachers. And there's a couple of categories that that Peter provides for us in verses 2 and 3. He writes, And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. The deception of the false teachers, the first thing Peter points out is that it will be widespread. And if you've been awake for just even 24 hours and looked around you, you recognize Peter was absolutely right. That unfortunately, he was unintentionally prophetic that many will follow. I've debated in my head numerous times, even in doing this message, of whether or not to name names. I could do that, but we would be here for about an hour and a half. And that indicates to you how widespread it is. We need to be cautious. It can sneak into our churches it's in our schools, it's in our workplaces, it's in our government, 
It's not a political statement. Sometimes it's even in our homes. It is widespread. The second thing that Peter points out is that this teaching will be man-centered. The false teachers are seeking to exalt man, either a personality and a leader or to present a false doctrine that is designed to make you feel good about you. It's designed to, in a way, highlight the excellence of mankind. The message of the scripture is the exact opposite. That we are called to die to self and to exalt Christ. That we are to make much of him, to make much of his name, to seek his glory, to seek his fame. Not any man's and certainly not my own. The false teachers would have you believe that you are worthy of glory. That you are worthy of attention. That you are worthy of praise. And the scriptures teach the exact opposite. That that is reserved for Christ. As a follower of Christ, you get to delight in the privilege of being an adopted son and daughter of the king. But you do so from a place of humility and not self-exaltation. Glory is reserved for Christ and Christ alone. And so Peter rightly determines that the only way that you can describe this is as being blasphemy. At the point the false doc, uh, teachers, the false doctrine that's out there is to blaspheme God, to ignore his sovereignty, to ignore his majesty, to be an affront to his authority over everything. It is blasphemous. We don't like to use that word a whole lot in our culture. And I'm not encouraging you, please know, I'm not encouraging you to walk around and find people on the sidewalk and call them blasphemers. Be better if you didn't do that. But I am encouraging you to be willing to call it what it is. And that when you see false teaching, when you hear false teaching, when you read it, that you call it what it is. And to call it what it is according to what the Bible calls it. The Bible calls it blasphemy. It's not just bad teaching. It's not just misguided teaching. It's blasphemy. When you start denying Christ, when you refuse Christ's authority, it is nothing else but blasphemy. We should call it what it is. Paul writes to Timothy, and he says this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. It says, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. You might say to yourself, wow, Paul, that's some really strange language. And Paul says, you're right. And then he doubles down on it in 2 Timothy, where again, in chapter 4, he says this in verse 3, he says, For time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. We are living right now 
and the reality of 2 Timothy 4.3. Accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Several years ago, Larry King, back when he still had a career, uh, was interviewing one of these, uh, it's not a swipe, I'm not making fun, you know, just, he's retired, it's okay. But he was interviewing one of these false teachers, and he asked him the question, he said, why is it that you are so successful? This is a guy that's drawing in a huge crowd, he's got a big platform, he's got great influence, and so Larry's just wanting to know, why is it that you're so successful? And his response, he says, two things. He says, number one, I never preach about sin. And really, it doesn't matter what number two is. Because the moment that he says something like that, who would purport to be a teacher of the Bible and say, I never preach about sin, that's false teaching. The Bible clearly teaches about sin. How foolish would you be to stand in front of a group of people and say, I am teaching the Bible, but yet never address sin? It's false teaching. We'll go back to our brother Jude. He says this in verse 8. Yet, in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. Relying on dreams. If the authority by which somebody is operating their so-called teaching ministry is a dream that they had, it's a false teacher. The warning continues because Peter tells us what the doom of the false teachers is. And starting in verse 4 and going all the way through verse 9, Peter lists some arguments going back to ancient times. And he establishes kind of an airtight argument. It's a if, 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 then argument. And each one builds upon the next to add some weight to this argument that he's going to make. Let's start in verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness, to be kept until the judgment... If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. So if, 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 verse 9, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. There is an impending doom that's coming. And Peter gets historical and points out this is how God will do this. And Peter suggests that number one, their doom is certain. It's not an if 
God is going to act. It's not an if God is going to make a move here for the false teachers. It's just a question of when. I want you to be encouraged by that. Because there's a certain doom that's coming for those who are teaching falsely to those who are denying Christ. Because there is that doom coming, you don't have to live in fear. God is going to take care of that. And that everything that God has done in the past is going to be similar to what he's going to do today. And that this doom, because people get uncomfortable with it. They say, well, but, but that seems kind of mean. Well, yeah, you're right. It's not so much mean as it is God pursuing justice over the unrighteous. And it's consistent with God's prior involvement. That's Peter's argument to say, look, the false teachers that are happening today, they're going to face their doom. And Peter can say that confidently because he says, go back and look. Here's what he did to Sodom and Gomorrah. Here's what he did to rescue Noah. It gives these arguments to say, this is how God operates. God's not going to put up with this. God knows what he's doing. So there's a warning for us. And if I just left it here, it'd be a really depressing message. And if Peter just left it here, it'd be a really depressing message. But that end of verse 9, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. Do you recognize that God is for you? That if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, God is for you. And everything he's doing in your life is for your good and for his glory. He is for you. And that fuels a hope that we have. As we look at this particularly, we can have hope that God is not going to let the guilty go unpunished. God is not asleep. God is not just like, well, you know, I'll get to it later. God knows what he's doing. And he will punish those who are guilty. God is just. You want to serve a just God. Because a just God is a good God. An unjust God is not good. And if God is not good, then he's not worthy of your worship. So in order to be able to worship the one true God, you have to recognize his goodness and recognize that his goodness comes directly out of his sense of justice. That he knows exactly what he's doing. That God has clearly defined right and wrong. And he will reward those who are faithful and obedient. And he will discipline those who are not. God is just. How just is he? He's so just that even in his justice, he can't help but to display grace. Because he's given us a redeemer. I want you, now I don't know all of you, but I still love you. So what I'm going to say is because I love you. But before you met Christ, do you know what you were? You were a false teacher. Because what were you doing before you met Christ? You were denying Christ. You refused to come underneath his authority. You refused to operate on God's terms. You set yourself up as your own king, as your own Lord. That's false teaching. 
But God graciously provided a redeemer and rescued you from your own false doctrine and brought you into his truth. And it's in that sense of truth that you get to operate today. So I would suggest to you that the joy of this is the promise that there is a redeemer. And maybe, just maybe, consider the fact that because you once were a false teacher, now granted, maybe you didn't have a big platform or a whole lot of influence or, you know, maybe not have had a marketing deal. Seriously, so many names. (sighs) But you were still a false teacher. And God rescued you. Have you ever considered this? That instead of railing against the false teachers of our day, and instead of posting strongly worded Facebook posts, to instead dedicate that time to praying for those false teachers that they would repent, that God would graciously rescue them from themselves, rescue them from their own false teaching, that maybe the time would be better spent instead of trying to promote how terrible they are, and I agree they are, but instead to say, God, would you draw them mercifully to your throne? May they get to know who you are and embrace the truth. Maybe that would be a better use of our time. God's justice is great, but his grace is greater. I am thrilled that God has a sense of justice. But I delight even more in his grace. God has great grace. Paul captures it in Romans chapter 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let the weight of that kick you in the head real quick. Because what you just heard is that God's plan from eternity past is knowing full well that there's going to be a season of your life where you are going to be your own false teacher. God decided he was going to send his son to die in your place. Whoa. While you were weak. While you were ungodly. While you, as a wretched sinner, Christ died. For you. It doesn't just leave us alone. And one of the great things about Jesus is that he rescues us, but he doesn't step into the background and say, you know, I kind of hope they figure it out. But instead, he enters in and he provides every last bit of himself to us. My favorite book of the Bible is Colossians. And my favorite chapter of my favorite book of the Bible is Colossians chapter 2. And my favorite portion of my favorite chapter of my favorite book of the Bible is Colossians 2, 6 through 10. And because Paul gives a bit of a warning, kind of a, you know, strong nudge, and then he just knocks our socks off. So I want you to hear these words and just let the truth and the reality of these words cascade all over your mind and your heart and embrace them. Here's what he says, starting in verse 6. Therefore, 
As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. All the wisdom that you need, you have available to you completely in Christ. All the strength, all the joy, all the peace, all the contentment, all the self-control, all the goodness, all the gentleness, all the faith, you have fully in Christ. He has not restrained anything from you. You have it all. Jesus offers all of himself and so as you encounter false teachers, or as you encounter somebody that you might perceive to be a false teacher, and you're looking for the discernment, guess what? You have it in Jesus Christ. And he's granted it to you. You lack nothing. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are an adopted son or daughter of the king, you have it all. Seriously, I get so excited about this. I could preach on it for a week straight and never exhaust it. I just, I'm not going to because that's not what I've been asked to do. So. But you have everything. So what do we do? What is our response in light of this? This warning and this hope, what is our res response? And I'm just going to provide you three things. There's probably 73, but I'm just going to limit it to three. The first one is this, is to be engaged in the life of the church. Now, it's really cool that you're here this morning, so maybe you don't really need to hear that part. Maybe it's the people that aren't here. Like, there's a couple of empty seats. So, like, the people that aren't sitting in those seats, they're the ones that need to hear that. But to move beyond just that I show up on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning, but instead that you are engaged in the life of the church. If you are content to experience your Christian life just by showing up on a Saturday night or Sunday morning, no wonder you have such a miserable Christian existence. Because you've limited your Christian life to an hour and a half. Hour and 45, the guest preacher shows up. Engage yourself in the life of this church. One of the things that we appreciate so much about Lake City, and trust me, we have been deeply influenced by Lake City, is the variety of ways that they've made available for you to be engaged, not just in a program, but in the life of the church. I know, and I've heard stories, and I read reports about the hospitality that you're showing, the ways that you are serving your neighbors or your coworkers, how you are leading small groups or actively caring and shepherding for one another through your small groups. That's engaging in the life of the church. And when you do that, you provide yourself incredible protection against false teachers. Because number one, you get to rely upon the gifts, the blessings, the talents of the whole body. But then you also have a wonderful gift to you in this church and that you have pastors and elders. And because this is Lake City and I used to be here, I know these men. 
And I know that they take their calling seriously to love and to shepherd you. That their role is not primarily an authoritative one, but instead it is a shepherding role. They are for you. They're interested in shepherding and caring for your hearts. And I've gotten to know some of the small group leaders and they're doing the same exact thing. They're sharing and caring for you and they're blessing you and they want to shepherd your heart. And when you engage in the life of the church, you avail yourself to all the resources that you need to be able to protect yourself from false teaching. Secondly, it would be this, to be diligent to study the scripture. I would appeal to you and ask of you to do as Paul highlighted for us when he talks about the Bereans. In Acts 17, verse 11, he says, Now these Jews, speaking of the Bereans, were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Are you doing that? When you encounter potential false teaching, either in an article or an actual teaching or somebody knocking on your door, because sometimes that's how false teachers show up. So maybe they're not the so secretive ones. They're kind of clear about it. But, but you study the scriptures so that you're able to know if what they're saying is true. Again, the gift that is Lake City is there's such a variety of ways made available to you to be able to have access to God's word and be able to study it. There's Sunday classes, there's small groups, there's of course the weekend gatherings, there's so many different venues for you to be able to study God's word. I stated to you at the beginning that I am a village missionary. I would be shirking my village missionary responsibilities if I didn't say this. Village Missions has developed a two-year Bible education program. It's six courses total. You start with bibliology and how to study the Bible, and then Old Testament, New Testament, church history, uh, doctrine, and preaching, teaching, and evangelism. Maybe it's time for you to consider doing that. To kind of kicking it up a notch a little bit in your academic pursuit, but not really in an academic pursuit, but in a Jesus pursuit. And finding him in his word. If you were to go to VM, that's a VM, how about that for sign language, VM, contenders.org, you can find out all about it. Now, here's the really cool thing is Village Visions has said that if you were to go through all six courses of contenders, that they would consider your educational requirements fulfilled. And you too could be a village missionary. Remember, part of my job here is to recruit. But even if you decide not to become a village missionary, village missions, they've made that free. There are zero strings attached to it. would encourage you to pursue that in your pursuit of studying the scriptures and examining them daily. And what happens when you study the scriptures daily? Do you know who you bump into? You bump into Jesus. Because no matter where you go in your Bible, Jesus is on every page. Genesis through concordance, Jesus is there. And Jesus told us he was going to be there. In John chapter 5, he says this, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Jesus just said, everything in the Bible is about me. Everything in your Old Testament is pointing towards Jesus. In the New Testament, in the Gospels, it is a recording of Jesus. And then everything in the New Testament beyond that is pointing back 
to Jesus. It is all about Jesus. So as you dedicate yourself to studying the scriptures, who are you going to find? Jesus. And who's going to help you to push back against the false teachers? It's Jesus. That's where you need to go. And then thirdly, be ready to teach others. If there's a vacuum of good, solid Bible teaching, if there's a vacuum of good doctrine, what necessarily must fill the space? False teaching. If you want to push back on the false teaching that exists within our culture in this day, then you become a teacher yourself. If you're a parent and you have children in your house, you teach your children. But I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'll borrow some encouragement from another guy that I heard from. You only have to be one day ahead. <laughs> you don't have to have it all figured out. You just stay one day ahead of them. But you teach your children. You disciple your children. Or maybe God's calling you to a place where you're able to, to teach in a Sunday class or in one of the uh, other age ministries that are here or to become a small group leader. You teach. Maybe God's calling you to start a Bible study in your workplace. You teach. Maybe God's calling you to teach people in rural communities that need to know that Jesus loves them and God, you, God might use you as a village missionary. Yeah, just a thought. Be ready to teach others. You want to push back on the false doctrine? Then start teaching truth. And God's called all of us to be his messengers, his ambassadors for reconciliation. He has given us a glorious message of his gospel. And so we, as a church body, go out and teach. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful to you for the work that you're doing. And we thank you that you have given us your word, that your word teaches truth, and that in your word we might know the truth. Father, would you discipline us to be disciplined in studying your word? Make it within us a healthy, persistent obsession. Craft within us a hunger to know your word more. And use it so we might draw closer to your throne, to delight more in your presence, but also to equip us to push back on the false teaching that exists in the culture around us. Would you use us, your body, to be the ones who become so convinced of the truth that we have no choice but to declare it. And that as we declare your truth boldly, the false teachers simply have to shrink away out of fear and desperation because they can't compete with your powerful word. Father, we would ask that you would restrain the false teachers of our day. That you would impede their ability to have success. That you would impede their influence Lord, we would pray that you would bring them to a place of repentance. Father, in like fashion that you have rescued us, who we were once false teachers of ourselves, we recognize that your grace, who can get through to us, can get through to anybody else. 
And so we pray for the false teachers of our day, that you would bring them to the end of themselves, to the end of their errors. They would recognize their deep need for a Savior, that they would repent. Father, protect your church. And we thank you that you've given us your word, you've given us your Holy Spirit, and you've given us the hope that rests in the gospel. And for that, we are profoundly thankful and deeply dependent. Lord, help us so that we might display your glory and point to your fame for the excellency of the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.